Amen. You can take a seat. Thank you, team. Very good. How are we all this morning? Good? It's good to see a little bit of progress and change, a bit of renovations happening in church, isn't it? The uh, parents' room will be ready soon and the food pantry will be operating there, which is great, and the work on the shower and the laundry for the homeless will begin out the back soon, so things are happening. And um, the new roof is going on in April, and the new air conditioner, which is fantastic, so um, very good. Hey, a few little quick things before I preach this morning. Firstly, I want to remind you about water baptisms. You heard it in the, in the news, but just really want to um, remind you that water baptism isn't something that we just think of, oh, that'd be a good idea to do. It would be a man-made thing or religious activity. It's actually something that Jesus instructed us to do. And water baptisms is something that we provide a couple of times through the year. Later in the year, we'll do it here in the service. But the next opportunity is at camp. And if you're a Christian and you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you just to pray about it, to think about it. Maybe even come and talk to our team about being baptized at camp. Because Jesus said these words in Matthew 28. He said, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He, he gave that instruction to his disciples. He gives that instruction to us, the church now. And it's just a great way of, of one, obeying Jesus, but also marking and declaring your life as a follower of him by being water baptized. So if you've never done that, come and see me. Come, come and talk to our team. We'd love to be able to baptize you at camp this year, even if you're not coming for the whole weekend. Come down for the Saturday afternoon, be water baptized, stay for a barbecue. It'll be a great thing to do in the church community. So you can see the info desk for that. All right, one more thing and then I'm going to preach. Joshua and Pipiana Davy. Did I say that correctly? Why don't you come on up onto this little platform? At the end of last year, you can give them a hand. You don't know what we're going to do yet. You've been voted off. No, sorry. At the end of last year, Josh and Pip applied for their credentials within our movement, the Australian Christian Churches, and they both were endorsed and received as getting their probationary minister's certificate, which is, we refer to it as a PMC, which is like the P plates of being a pastor, basically. So they're on their P's now, they're going from the L's to their P's, and um, I'm going to present it for them. In f- well, they already got it in front of the district at the end of last year, but in front of their church, home and family, we just want to say, these are pips. You've already got yours, don't you, in your office. But there's your credential. It actually says Pastor Pip Davey. Yes, you can give her a hand. And Pastor Josh Davey. So I was wondering if just in front of our church family, if we could all stand because I'd like to pray for these guys. And um, if you don't know, Josh and Pip head up our youth and our young adults ministry in church, and they do a great job. And an important role in any church family is the people that look after our youth and our young adults. And I just, before I pray, I just felt to read this scripture and, and speak it over your life from Psalm 126, verse 5. It says this, Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. And I'm just so thankful for the seeds that you guys sow into the youth and young adults, into the church, into the community. Josh is working as a chaplain at a school as well, just planting seed all the time. And that doesn't come easily. It comes at a cost. There is sometimes tears. There is sometimes stress. There is sometimes worry. There is time to, sometimes lack of sleep. 
but I just want to declare that those who plant with tears will reap with joy. There will be dancing and there will be joyfulness as we see the harvest of the things that you guys have sown. So can we reach out our hands? We're going to pray for them and just endorse them as our youth and young adults pastors are now on our pea plates. Look out. God, we thank you for Josh and Pip. We thank you for them saying yes to your call, Lord God. Yes to the call to serve you. Yes to the call to follow you. Yes to the call to lay down their life for others, God. And I just pray, Lord God, this day that as they step into this new role, Lord God, that the credential is just an acknowledgement of what they're already doing. They're serving as pastors, as leaders, as shepherds of young people, God. And I just pray that you would be with them. God, I pray that you would put your hand of anointing upon them, that you would use them. You would begin to use them even more than you have before, Lord God, in a new level of authority, in a new level of anointing, in a new level of confidence, Lord God, a confidence that comes from knowing you, knowing your word, knowing your truth. God, I pray over their children. I pray, Lord God, that you would mark them, you would protect them, you would bless them, you would provide for them. God, I thank you for them, Lord God, and I just pray that they would grow up to know who you are, Lord God, that your voice would be the loudest voice in their life, Lord God. I pray for Josh and Pip's marriage, God. I pray that you would protect it. I pray that you would make sure that they keep that a priority and you keep it strong, Lord God, because out of that marriage and out of that family, Lord God, can be their greatest ministry. And God, I just pray for them today, Lord God. I thank you for Josh. I thank you for Pip. I thank you, God, that they are pastors, that they are leaders, and that they are called by you, set apart by you to do great things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's give them one more hand, church. Thanks, guys. New nickname, Pip, PP, Pastor Pip, right there. Let's see if it sticks. Probably not, but anyway. Okay, let's get into our message this morning. I'm uh, start again. Going to start a series today. I like to do a series every now and again. I'm doing a, a series called "On the Way." We're on the way, and we're going to look at the life of Jesus when he was on the way towards Jerusalem. We are approaching Easter soon, and in Bible times, as the first Easter was happening, Jesus was on his way, making his way from town to town, on his way to Jerusalem. He knew what was waiting for him at Jerusalem, but he still went on his way towards Jerusalem. And over the next few times that I preach, we're just going to look at some events, some miracles that happened as Jesus was on the way. It's actually so true of Jesus' life that so much of what happens in the Bible, so much of the good stuff happened as he was on his way somewhere. It doesn't say he planned to go to this person and to seek to them. It says, no, as he was going somewhere, he was interrupted. As he was going somewhere, someone called out to him. As he was on his way somewhere, he was, if you like, interrupted, but he never seems to be interrupted. He never seems to be put off by the interruption. He always seems like he's ready for it. It's like he expected to be interrupted or expected to be disturbed, expected for his plans to change. And I know he's God and he knows everything, but Jesus had this way of being able to be on his way somewhere, but yet still have time for the person that called out in need. And so this series is called On the Way, because as Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem, we look at three different events where we see people call out to him. And today's message is called one of them. And we're reading from Luke chapter 17, verse 11 to 19. Says this, as Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered a village there, 10 lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. 
He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. I want to look at this passage this morning because I believe there's stuff for us to learn. There's stuff for us to be able to apply in our own life. And I'm going to break it up into three sections. Part one, we're going to look at what happened before they were healed. So part one is before they were healed, verses 11 to 13. Part two is the moment they were healed, and that's in verse 14. And part three will be what happened after they were healed, which is verses 15 to 19. So part one, before they were healed. As Jesus made his way, it says this, as he entered a village there. Jesus is on his way somewhere, and these men encounter him. It says this, as he enters the village. Have you ever been on a long journey? Ever been on a destination? And as it's getting close to the end, if you've been on a plane anywhere from Australia, it's a long way, except New Zealand probably. But if you've ever gone to the US or to Europe, you'll look at the little map on the screen and it shows you how far you've got to go. And I don't know about you, but in the last two hours, I probably am looking at it every five minutes, saying, oh, is that all we've gone in that little bit of time? Because you're keen to get to your destination. You want to arrive. You're sick of the, of the journey. We, we drive to Coffs Harbour a bit because got, I've got family up there. And I remember this one time we were driving to Coffs Harbour and we were just on the outskirts of Coffs Harbour, literally five minutes away from being in Coffs Harbour. And there's an incident in the back seat. I don't know about you, but every road trip of mine involves an incident of some sorts in the back seat. Lucy, it's not your fault, it's your brother's. <laughs> he's touching me. He's breathing on me. He's looking at me. He's doing something and it involves an incident. And I do not like to stop. Do any one agree that once you get on your journey, you just want to keep going. Amen. I see that hand, Brian Rob. Can I get another hand in this room? Yes, thank you. All the men agree with me. We don't want to stop. We're so close to our destination. We're so close to our journey of where we want to go. And the last thing we want to do is stop. And I remember on this time, we had to pull over and deal with an incident. I don't even remember what the incident was. I just remember the fact that I had to stop and I did not want to stop. I was nearly at my destination. I was nearly there and I was interrupted because I had to stop and deal with an incident in the back seat. But the thing with Jesus is he did stop. He was arriving at his destination. It says, as he was entering the town, the men called out to him. As he was entering the town, he stopped. Jesus could have said, hey guys, you're not going anywhere. I'm going to go in, have a shower, wash my feet, have some food, and then I'll come back out to you and deal with your need then. And that probably would have been okay. But not Jesus. He stops in the moment. As he's entering the town, it says he stopped. They called out to him and he, he responds in that way. What a great example for all of us to never be too busy to stop. To never be so focused on where we're going that we don't see the people that are right there in front of us in need. Calling out, asking for us to help. Let's never be a church. Let's never be a people that are so focused on our goals. Are so focused on our purpose that we miss the people that are right in front of us. Jesus, I'm not speaking about it today, but gives a great example of the Good Samaritan who was prepared to stop, who was prepared to help the person right there in front of him. It's a great example for you and for me. So as he entered the village, 10 lepers stood 
at a distance. These men stood at a distance because of a condition known as leprosy. They had a skin condition called leprosy, and it meant that they had to stand at a distance. Let me read you this. In the Israelite community, when a person discovered a rash or skin disorder, he or she had to go to the priest for examination. You don't go to the doctor or the chemist to get a cream. You go to the priest. And the priest, when a person discovered a rash or skin disorder, he had to go to the priest for examination. The priest then determined whether this was a contagious disease and whether the person was to be declared ceremonially unclean. You can read about that in Leviticus 13.1. Jewish law prohibited anyone with such a disease from associating with the general community. They had to be isolated and many times lived as outcasts until they died. This was necessary in order to keep infectious diseases from becoming an epidemic. But for those afflicted by it, it could become a life sentence. So these 10 men, these 10 people, I don't like to refer to them as 10 lepers because they were people that had leprosy. Rather than putting on the label of a leper, they were people that had this condition of leprosy. That's why they were on the outside of town. That's why they were away from the community. That's why they weren't in the town, but they were on the outskirts. And that's why they kept their distance from Jesus. Now, two questions I want to ask you this morning that comes out of this. First question is this, what keeps you and I away from community? Second question, what keeps you distant from Jesus? Fortunately, in Australia, we don't have diseases like leprosy affecting our community. I've been to parts of the world, even the last time we were in Medan, some of the team went to a leprosy colony and and ministered to people that are afflicted by this disease. Now, we don't have that in Australia because we've got great health, and that's a fantastic thing to be thankful for. But I do believe we have an epidemic. I believe we have an epidemic of isolation, an epidemic of loneliness, an epidemic of removing ourselves from community that is just as painful and is just as bad. And too many of us at times live removed from community. Maybe it's we don't think we belong. We don't fit in, so we isolate ourselves. Maybe when it comes to church, you don't think you're good enough. I've got a secret for you. None of us are good enough. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's stuff in your past guilt, whatever it is, and it keeps you away from community. Maybe you've isolated yourself because of hurt. Maybe the community that you were a part of hurt you, and the way that you survive now is by isolating yourself and living a life removed. And you can still come to church, you can still be in a crowd like this, but you live isolated. You live with walls up, you live guarded, you live away from community, not letting anyone in, not going into anyone's life, but just being in your safe place. And that's because of hurt. And that happens. I know what that's like. I know that temptation to isolate, to close up shop and to say, no, I'm done. I've been hurt and I'm not going to be part of community anymore because community hurt me. Whatever your reason is for withdrawing, whatever your reason is for being removed from community, can I pray over you that your reasons would be removed, that Jesus would be the one who could come and heal those reasons, could work through those reasons, could heal those reasons and turn them around so that you are not alone, but you are in community. We need to live our lives in community. It's not just something we say, but it's actually really important for us. From the very beginning, we were created to live not in isolation, but to live in community. At creation, God said these words, It is not good for man to be alone. And I know what happened next. He created a woman and 
man and woman, it was a partnership. It wasn't just for that moment, though. It wasn't just because man was lonely in that moment. It was because God designed you and I to live in community together. And the only way community was going to happen was when man and woman got together and multiplied. And children came and grandchildren came and the earth grew because people started to inhabit the earth. That was God's design that you and I live in community. That you and I don't live isolated, removed, but we live with one another in community together from the very beginning. The early church were given this instruction, Hebrews 10 verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Verse 25, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. Can I encourage you this morning to keep meeting together, to keep gathering together as his church, not just on a Sunday, but life group, community, friends, people in your world, family, do life together. We were created to do it together. The church were reminded to not neglect it. Let's not live our lives in isolation. Whatever your issue might be, my prayer, as I said, is that we could work through them. We would not let them become a disease like leprosy that keeps us away from our community. But let's work through it. Let's allow Jesus to heal our lives so that we can live together in community. The next question, what is it that keeps you and I distant from Jesus? Maybe it's the shame thing again. You know what the biggest thing for me that keeps me distant from Jesus? Busyness. Life. Appointments, schedules, things to do. What is it that keeps you distant from Jesus? What are the things that keep you away from him, not close in communion, as just talked about in communion this morning? In the garden, they were created to be close, one with God. But what are the things that keeps you distant from him? Maybe it's unbelief. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's unanswered prayer. Maybe it's things that have gone wrong and you just can't get over the fact that nothing happened there and you just can't move forward in your relationship with God. I do not know what it is this morning that might be keeping you distant from Jesus, but I do know this. It's not Jesus. It is not Jesus. When we get distant from him, when we remove ourselves from him, it is us that removes ourselves away. It is never him because he is always there, always available, always ready. You know, on Thursday when I prepared this message, I wrote these words. I love the song, Oh, Come to the Altar, in brackets. I wish we would sing it more often. And then voila, we just sung it. Are you hurting and broken within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Whatever it is that is keeping you distant from a close relationship with Jesus, my prayer this morning is that you could lay it down. You could surrender it to him. You could offer it to him just like these men offered their leprosy and their disease to Jesus and say, Jesus, heal me from this because I do not want to be distant from you. I don't want to have to call out to you from a distant. I don't want to have to be removed from community because of the stuff that's gone on, but I want to be close. Proverbs eight seventeen: those who search will surely find me. 
Later on at the end of my message today, I'll give you an opportunity if you're here to either begin a relationship with Jesus or to come back into a relationship with him. To no longer be distant, but to be close. To no longer have to scream from a distance, but to be right up close and personal and have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's go back to our men, the 10 men that called out. Verse 12, as he entered the village, 10 lepers stood at a distance. We've covered that. Verse 13, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So they may have kept their distance, but they didn't keep their voice down. They cried out to Jesus. And listen to this. In crying out to Jesus, they demonstrated that they believed that Jesus could do something to help them. When you cry out to Jesus for help, it's not a position of weakness. It's not a position of, of unbelief. It's a position of saying, I believe and I'm, my faith is in Jesus Christ. I believe that by calling out to him, he can actually do something to help me in this situation. Romans 10 from the message interpretation says this. Scripture reassures us. No one who trusts God like this, heart and soul, will ever regret it. It's exactly the same no matter what a person's religious background may be. The same God for all of us, acting the same incredibly generous way to everyone who calls out for help. Everyone who calls, help, God, gets help. They called out to Jesus, believing that he could help them. And he does. And he responds. Part two, the moment they were healed. He looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. Jesus looks upon them. He sees their need. But his response is not what you would expect. It's actually a bit of a theme in the Bible that Jesus does what you don't expect him to do. That the way he heals people, the way he interacts with people is not what we're expecting, is not the norm, is not what we would be planning. But he does it differently. He tells them to go present themselves to the priests. And that's only something you do once you've been healed. For them to go to the priest, to go into the town, to find the priest, to show themselves to them, while they still have leprosy, is to break the law. Is to go against the custom, is to go against the laws of the land. You don't go into a town when you still have leprosy. You wait until you're healed and then you act. And Jesus is saying, no, act. Take a step now. They had a choice. Do I trust Jesus and do what he's told me to do? Suppose their only other option was to remain afflicted with leprosy, to remain on the outskirts. Not really much of a choice, is it? They could have negotiated with Jesus. Jesus, maybe you could pray over us. Maybe you could send some of your blessing this way and we would be healed and then we might walk into town and show ourselves. Maybe an angel could come down. Maybe they had their own ideas of how Jesus might help them and how Jesus might heal them. I love what Matthew Henry says. He said, those that expect Christ's favours must take them in his way and his method. Too many times we call out to God to help us and we've given him a list of how he can do it for us. We've given him a three-point plan with subtitles of how he can come through for us. But when we call out to Jesus in desperation saying, Jesus, we need your help, we've got to trust him and we've got to obey him with what he says to do. God's methods and his ways don't make sense all the time. It's called a life of faith for reason. It's not called a life of logic. It's not called a life of obvious. It's called a life of faith. Isaiah 55, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, God says. 
My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so in my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. On this day, these ten men were given a choice. Stay in their leprosy, stay in their disease, stay in their removed, isolated state, or trust God and obey Him. Verse 14, he looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And these powerful words, And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. As they went. This miracle happened as they started to move. As they began to step out in faith. As they began to put into action what God had told them to do. It says that as they went, they were healed. Not before they went, but as they went. Their healing came when they took the step of faith. Martin Luther King Jr. says this, Faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. And that's what it is to live a life of faith. To obey God, to do what He calls you to do when it doesn't make sense, when it doesn't add up, when you can't see how it's all going to come together, but trusting Him and saying, Okay, God, I obey and I'll take that first step of faith. They were healed as they went. James 2 in the message asked this question. Does merely, talking, does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? These ten men had faith. Their faith was revealed in their words. So their words, calling out to Jesus, Jesus, Master, have, have mercy on us. That shows to me by their words that they have faith in God. But it's revealed then in their action. By taking a step of faith and going towards the priest while they still had leprosy, they are putting their words into action. They are having what we call a complete faith, where it's backed up word and deed together. Not just talking about it, but doing it. All of them went to the priests. They began to move and they were healed. It says that all of them were healed that day. But one of them responds differently. One of them responds upon realizing that he has been healed. Let's read it. Part 3, verse 15. When he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus shouting, Praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. One of them. One out of ten. Some of you are thinking that sounds like maths at high school. One out of ten. Ten percent. Anyone ever get ten percent in a maths test? Huh? Probably. Can't remember that far back. I got a hundred percent in a maths test once. And then I found a mistake and it actually didn't get a hundred percent. So I went and told the teacher and he said, Oh, you can have a hundred percent anyway. Thanks for your honesty. Honesty pays, Lucy. Remember that. <laughs> in case you didn't know, that wasn't in my notes. One of them returns. Ten of them are healed and one comes back to Jesus. I think there's times in our life when we have to be prepared to be that one. There's times in our life where we have to be prepared to go against the crowd. There's times in our life where we have to swim against the tide, whatever expression you want to put in here. But when you make a stand, for some of you that was the moment you decided to follow Jesus. You took a stand and said, no, I'm going to live my life for Jesus. And even though my friends or the people around me are not, this is what I have decided to do with my life. This one decided to do something that was different to the others. When the nine are walking in one direction towards the priest, 
he decides to turn around and walk the other way. And Luke, the writer of this story, emphasizes that the one was a Samaritan. The one was a person despised by the Jews. The Samaritans, let me read this, the Samaritans were separate from the Jewish church. They did not have the pure knowledge and worship of God among them that the Jews had. And yet it was one of them that glorified God. The Samaritan gives thanks and the Jew does not. Thus many who profess revealed religion are outdone and quite shamed by some that are governed only by natural religion. Those that have been taught it, those that know all the facts, that know all the information, were put to shame by those that knew nothing. All that he knew was, I was sick and now I'm whole. And that was enough for him to return to Jesus Christ. See, the Jews had the information, they had the religion, they had the upbringing, but there was the Samaritan that had the revelation that it was Jesus who healed him. Matthew Henry says this, Instead of going forward to the priest to be by him declared clean and so discharged from his confinement, which was all that the rest aimed at, he turned back towards him who was the author of his cure. Nine of them chose to go to man. They went to present themselves to the priests. One of them chose to go to God. Return to Jesus. When you've got an issue, when you've got a problem, when you've got a need, the temptation is to go to man, to go to the expert, to go to what's customary of the day. But this Samaritan demonstrates a faith where he goes, no, I'm going to return to the source. I'm going to return to the person who healed me. I'm going to return back to Jesus Christ. The outsider, the foreigner, is the one who is most sensitive to who Jesus is. Those who respond to God may not be the ones we expect to respond. The Samaritan responded to Jesus. And let's look at how Jesus responds to him. Verse 17, Jesus asks, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? You can read in this that there's a bit of disappointment in Jesus' voice. There's a bit of maybe shock that I thought maybe more would come back. Maybe not all ten, but maybe a few more than one might return to give thanks. It shows me that God desires you and I to express thankfulness to him. That when he does things in our life that we give him thanks. The Samaritan chose to give thanks. The Samaritan chose to have an attitude of gratitude. He chose to express his thanks and to praise Jesus for what had happened in his life. Hebrews 12, 28, which was the scripture that I said was our verse for the year, talking about the word unshakable. It says this, Since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful. Let us be a thankful people. Thankful that we have an unshakable God. Thankful that he's building an unshakable kingdom. And thankful that he's making us, you and I, unshakable in our faith. But let us be thankful. Thankful for all that he has done, all that he's doing, and all that he will do. You know, it's a really healthy exercise to every day. Just think of one thing. Just one thing to be thankful for. One simple thing. I saw on your face, was it Facebook, Instagram, Bron? Anyway, I saw it on social media over the weekend, the last few days, this amazing quote. 
If you begin and finish your days with thoughts of gratitude, you'll find yourselves in the dark. No. The lights have gone out, but that's okay. I'll keep going. If you f- you'll find yourselves living from a place of abundance rather than lack. Those first and final moments set the tone for the many minutes that fall in between. It was by Erica Lane. Those first moments and those last moments can help define your day by choosing in those first moments to be thankful for God, choosing to pick one thing that you're grateful for, and then at the end of the day, just one thing that you're thankful for can set up your day, can change your attitude, can help you to live in an abundance and a grateful mindset. This story that we've read today shows me that gratitude and thankfulness is a choice. There's not just some people that are naturally more thankful and grateful than others. No, it's a choice. It's a decision to make. And doing things like choosing to be thankful and choosing to be grateful at the beginning, at the end of each day, trains your mind, trains your heart, trains your emotions to have gratitude. And this is something that all of us can do, that all of us can do. We can be grateful and we can say, thank you, God, for what you have done in my life. You can choose to be grateful. You can choose to be grateful. Nine chose not to show it. Nine chose just to go on their way to be healed and to head off. But one chose to return to Jesus and to say, thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. And after Jesus had had said that first thing, he turns his attention to the one. Verse 19, Jesus says to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. The thing about this statement is that this man has already been healed. The leprosy has already gone from his life. He's already been healed. That's why he's come back to Jesus in the first place. But now Jesus is saying to him, your faith has healed you. What's going on here? Has Jesus forgotten that he just healed him? No. Jesus is saying this in other translations. It says your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you whole. One Bible commentary explains exactly what is happening here. Because they had faith, all ten were physically healed. But Jesus' final word to the grateful Samaritan implied that the man received spiritual healing in addition to the cleansing of his skin. After the man was already healed of leprosy, Jesus says to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. It could be that the man's return to fall at Jesus' feet gave him spiritual wholeness in addition to physical wholeness. When we take time to acknowledge the giver, And not just the gifts, we please the Lord as well as enjoy the spiritual healing that comes from gratefulness. This man received so much more. All ten had amazing physical healing in their life that day. Yet only one was spiritually healed. Only one was declared whole and sent on his way by Jesus Christ. I love this quote. The miracle is less important than its results. So many times we're focused on the miracle, but... If a miracle doesn't change anything in your life, then what was the point? All ten received the same miracle, yet only one of them it resulted in salvation. Only one of them it resulted in him coming back and bowing before Jesus and giving his life to him and walking away from that place healed and whole and set free. And we read earlier in Romans 10 that no one who trusts God like this heart and soul will ever regret it. It's exactly the same no matter what a person's religious background may be. The same God for all of us acting the same incredibly generous way to everyone who calls out for help. All 10 could have received this healing that day. All 10 could have been made whole, but only the one who came back and asked for it received it. 
Only the one who came back with gratitude and thankfulness in his heart received all that God had for him. See, God was giving out gifts that day. He was giving out healing. He was giving out salvation. He was giving out eternal life. And 10 of them settled for physical healing when only one came back and received the complete and whole work of what Jesus wanted to do in his life. The others settled for a great thing, a miracle, but they could have got something so much better. Can the creative team come? The musos come? Just feel your way up here. It's a bit dark. There's a pastor in our region. He's a great, um, and his name is Pastor Phil Candom, and some of you will know him. And five years ago, Pastor Phil was diagnosed with motor neuron disease. He was told that he would have less than two years to live. This was five years ago. He's a very inspirational person to talk to and a very insightful person to talk to because he's thought through some of the big issues around life, death, healing. One of the things he says that, that always sticks with me is this. He said, even if Jesus heals me today... One day, I'm still going to die. But because he has salvation, he doesn't fear death. Because he's already received the greatest miracle. And he says that, I've already received the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle in his life is not being healed of motor neuron disease. The greatest miracle in his life is the day that he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Is the day that he surrendered and said, God, I will follow you. I believe in you. I give my life to you. The day he received that gift of eternal life, the day he invited Jesus into his life, is in his own words, the greatest miracle that he could ever see in his life. And today, I want to give you that same opportunity. I want to give you that opportunity to do exactly the same thing, to give your life to Jesus, to receive the greatest miracle that God can give any one of us. And that is to take us from darkness to light. That is to take us from being away and removed from Him and being close and in communion with Him. That is to take us from having a life that ends the moment we die to having the gift of eternal life, which means we spend eternity in heaven with Him. And that happens the moment we receive Jesus, the moment we say yes to Him, the moment we invite Him into our world. This morning, I'm going to ask us all to say a prayer. I'm going to lead you in a prayer together. and I'm going to ask everyone to say it. I want us just to close our eyes across this room. And we're going to pray this prayer. It's a prayer that declares we believe in Jesus. It's a prayer that declares we want to give our life to Him. And let's repeat it after me. Dear Jesus, I acknowledge that I need You. I believe You are the Son of God. I believe You came to give eternal life. I open my heart to You. I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. I receive your forgiveness and acceptance. Take control of my life. I give it to you. In your name. Amen. Just with our eyes still closed. If there's anyone here this morning that wants to receive the gift of salvation. The gift of eternal life the gift of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you prayed that prayer and you meant it. You prayed that prayer either for the first time or as a way of saying, no, today I'm coming back to a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you in this room, I just want you to quickly raise your hand so that I can see it. Just let me know and say, yeah, Lottie, I prayed that today. 
I want to come back into relationship with God or I want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship that I give my life to following Him. I want to receive the greatest gift that Jesus came to give. I don't want to just settle for the other stuff, but I want to receive the greatest gift, and that is the gift of salvation. You raise your hand right now, and our team would love to pray for you at the end of the service. Just have a chat. God, we thank you that we can call upon your name. I see your hand over there. That's amazing. Is there anyone else just reaching out and say, yep, that's me today? Thank you. That person that raised a hand, one of our team will come and talk to you, connect with you after the service. As long as you've got breath, you have an opportunity to call upon Jesus. As long as you have breath, you have an opportunity to be like that one. He came back on his knees and gave his life to Jesus Christ. As we've got our eyes closed this morning, church, can I challenge you to live with gratitude, to be like the one who returned to Jesus, acknowledging what he has done in your life, living a life where you give thanks and are grateful for every good thing that he does. Not wait for something out of the ordinary to happen, but just the everyday stuff. God, I thank you for the air that I breathe. I thank you for the home that I live in. I thank you for the food that I've eaten. I thank you for the coffee which I will drink tomorrow when the 21 days of fasting is over. I thank you for the big things and I thank you for the little things. I'm going to live my life with gratefulness and thankfulness. And maybe there's some of you here that were challenged early on about isolation. For whatever reason, you're still living your life isolated and removed from community. My prayer for you this morning is that you could give that to Jesus. And just like He healed the disease of leprosy, He could heal the disease of isolation. He could heal the broken heart. He could heal the wound. And that you could live your life the way you were designed. In community with one another. With each other. Not on the outskirts anymore but in the center. God, we surrender our life to you. Any hurt, any unbelief, anything, Lord God, that is keeping us removed or separated from living the life you created us to live, God, we bring it to your feet now. And just like those 10 men, we cry out to you for mercy. We cry out to you for healing. We cry out to you for restoration. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to continue that in two weeks' time. Next week, I'll be preaching away at another church in Morissette. But in two weeks, we're going to continue our series on on the way. Thanks, Pastor Pip. You can come and wrap up this service.